Welcome to the 35th episode of the Turf Talk Young Turfs podcast, brought to you by Viner Forgates. This is your host, Mason the Intern Viner. And live for the first time in forever, your co-host, Jordan Viner. It's good to have you back, Jordan. It's good to be back, back in sunny Maryland, where it's actually sunny today. It was a toss-up in weather today. Would you rather have it be rainy and like a decent temperature, or about 100 on field level today at Navy Marine Memorial Corp Stadium? Well, considering I wasn't actually there and wasn't suffering through the 100-degree heat in a suit jacket like you were, I'll take the sunny, pleasant day where I can go inside and get some water. Look, the suit jacket is now in superstition. I've worn it twice this year, a win against Hopkins and the win today over Cornell. That will be discussed later. So let's get into it. Jordan, the men's basketball team has added a new, very intriguing season opener. That season opener will be against the Delaware Fighting Blue Hens. Well, as some of you may know, Maryland basketball will not be participating in the Gavit Games for the first time in four years this season. Yeah, I mean, they've had some real good games in that, including two against Georgetown, which I'm sure Maryland fans would like to see again, but they probably won't since, of course, they beat Georgetown both times. Yeah, probably not. And also, in basketball scheduling news, the only basketball news this week... We will not be hosting a preseason tournament for the first time in a long time, which means we have five of 11 non-conference teams on the schedule, or not on the schedule. One of them is the Big Ten ACC Challenge, which we don't know who we're playing, but we know we're playing it at home. Then we also got a riveting schedule of Marshall, Navy, Mount St. Mary's, and Hofstra. And also, of course, Delaware, who I already mentioned. So that Hofstra game's looking good because that's about the hardest opponent up there right now. Actually, according to most, it's Marshall since they made the NCAA tournament and then beat Wichita State this last season. But we all get the point. We do not have um, a big ticket selling home game this non-conference season. Unless the ACC Big Ten Challenge can prove fruitful as usual. I mean, you still got to put something else out there for the fans. Well, we don't. That's the thing that I think a lot of people are starting to realize. We have our one contractual game. Last year was Butler. The year before that, it was... Who did we play the year before that? Was it... It was Pitt and Oklahoma State. Those were the games. We don't really put out showstoppers on our own. We seem to be forced into it. And even our, quote, optional forced into it, the preseason tournament games which aren't at home, but at least there's something in the non-conference, we don't have those this year. So we really are out of luck as far as getting a big-name game. Look, to me, this describes the basketball team. Not a lot of answers handed to the fans after we lose. Just not a lot of things done for the fans by this team. You see other teams inviting people to take pictures on the court after the game or just doing something nice for the fans. But Maryland... The fans have called for big games, and they have not received them. This brings me back to a reoccurring theme I'm seeing a lot in sports these days, which is the organizations themselves, be it NFL, colleges, really colleges a lot, that you're always, no matter how big and mighty you get, you will always be beholden to the fans. They are your bottom line. And that's been proven true when the NFL had their attendance crisis this season. That was proven true when Tennessee fans didn't like Greg Schiano. It's You always have to remember where it all comes from, and you're only as good as your fans are. And I think Maryland might need a lesson in that these days. They, I believe, have since 
man, the whole Anderson era, Debbie Yao, nobody's really been in it to please the fans. They've kind of done whatever they want and just hope the fans show up. And as we repeatedly have shown through our, I calculated this out the other day, we average about 38,000 fans per game. That includes our attendance spikes with Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State rolling into town. If you take those out, I'm sure it's a much lower number. Our basketball attendance has been plummeting the last few years. We just, we're not selling tickets. And from an optics perspective, that looks horrible. And as revenue source, it also isn't good. We just, I think we might need a big shakeup, and I'm hoping this AD search gets us there. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Who really knows? On to the ever-proving positive front that hasn't proved anything at the Maryland football team, which added a 2022 opponent in Buffalo. The Buffalo Bulls will be coming into College Park in 2022. That looks like it'll be one of the seasons where we can't schedule an FCS opponent because we don't have enough. Okay, so I actually need to back up a little bit. I figured this out. The way this actually works, a lot of people think you just can't schedule FCS opponents in the Big Ten. That's not how this works. The way this works is you get nine conference games. If you only have four home games, you can schedule an FCS opponent to make sure you get another home game. That will be one of the years where we only have four road games, which means we need to schedule FBS opponents. Hence, we get Buffalo rolling into town. Well, the beginning of that rule was that the Big Ten teams can no longer schedule FCS opponents, which has then been repealed to what I just whatever said. you just said. So, more positive news for football. They signed a four-star cornerback, Tavion Tankland. As always, I have all the notes you didn't know you needed on Tavion. So, Tank, as he's commonly known, because he's 5'8", but man, what I've seen, he can hit like a tank. If he was six foot two or six foot three and playing DB, he would be like a top ten recruit nationwide. But since he's only five eight and one sixty six, he's not as highly rated. He is from Bishop Sullivan Catholic High School out in Virginia Beach, another strong Tidewater recruit. Mason, you know as well as anybody, the Tidewater is a rich area, and we are getting in there these days. Yeah, these days getting guys like the Gaddies, a few receivers. It's just if you can start the train rolling. It's hard to stop it because nobody's really put their flag down there. A lot of people just get a few guys here and there, but if you can stick a flag in the Tidewater, then you got something going. Well, Mike London, the current coach of the Howard Bison and former UVA coach, was brought in to help recruit that area. And even though he left, he looks like he helped us get our foot in the door, especially with the Gaddies. Yeah, it does. And, you know, all he needs is a few guys, and they go back for the summer, and they start spreading the word that they like it there. And generally, big deal athletes know a lot of other big deal athletes, so the word gets out quickly, especially if you got guys who are having positive experiences and getting playing time. So back to Tank, he was ranked 274 by the 24-7 composite algorithm. That's good for a four-star rating. He was offered by some legit powerhouse schools, including, want to read it off, Mason? Yeah, you got LSU, Georgia, NC State, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, and Virginia Tech. So you really got to hand it to the Durkin staff right now on beating out. And I'll point out, you know, there's a huge list on this. But Virginia Tech is my team that you look at and you're like, man, they beat Virginia Tech, who seems to be the most solid team in Virginia, especially recruiting-wise, out for Tank. 
he also has named, in January, he named Georgia as the leader, and then in April, very recently, he named Virginia Tech as the leader before Maryland put out the surprise commit on May 10th. I, I agree with you, though. Virginia Tech, really, if anybody has their flag in the Tidewater region, it's Virginia Tech. And we went in there, and we stole a guy, and a very good one, the number 10 player Virginia at that. Yeah, it just shows to prove it's moving on. Like, especially if you had a guy that named a team that was playing for a college football playoff championship and another one that's been doing really well, especially in the recruiting game right now under Justin Fuentes, Virginia Tech, that it's not so much that they're getting the leftover four stars anymore, it's that they're starting to get some real guys. Well, I have to say, I love Justin Fuente as a coach. I don't like Virginia Tech, but he is a great coach. He's done some great program building at Memphis and now Virginia Tech. This is a big get. Now, actually moving on to Tank as a player. From watching some film on him, he is, like I said, he's a hard-hitting, fast-moving mega-athlete who is unfortunately just a couple inches too short. So it sounds like he's a safety itself. He's short, so he can play corner. But... Maryland needs guys who can make big plays out on the outsides, and we've seen failures to tackle all over the field, so maybe having a quarter that can tackle well is going to prove fruitful for this recruiting class. I agree. Um, because You are correct. Because of his size, he's usually usually forced to play on the, ins- excuse me, the outside as a corner instead of a center field safety. He reminds me a lot, actually, of for you Redskins fans out there, and kind of funny because Virginia Tech... He reminds me of D'Angelo Hall a little bit. He is a very fast, very risk-taking, playmaking corner. And uh, you don't, you know, you don't see all the times, but I'm sure he's made some risks and missed some plays because of it. Because just looking at his highlights, he will gamble, and I'm sure he'll lose sometimes, but he gets interceptions, he makes big tackles. He's one of those guys that if a... If a receiver's catching the ball in the middle of the field, he will try to knock the ball out instead of make, necessarily making the tackle, which can be a bad thing, but I think he'll be a great energy guy for the defense. Well, to me, this is all about where we can be by the class that he's in, which is 2019. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. Is You look at the field right now, and you see a guy like Josh Woods out there. Not too reliable. I love the guy. He plays hard. He's the spirit of Maryland kind of guy. But at the end of the day, he's not a prime-time Big Ten level. But when you bring in a guy that's trying to make an interception instead of making a tackle, it's going to go down to, is that free safety or the cornerback that's back there going to be able to chase the guy down and make the tackle? So while he's great if he's a gambler, if we don't have the rest of the secondary shirt up by then, if they're still missing tackles in the open field... They're still not as fast as the other team's receivers. We're still going to be in trouble, especially if he misses a play like you just pointed out. Well, and going back to that, he also, although he's absolutely defensive back at the next level, most recruiting services don't even acknowledge that he plays receiver, but he does. And as a receiver, because those are in the highlight blends as well, he is a great burner receiver. He's good. He's using the screen often because he's good at making guys miss, but he's also a good downfield threat. He runs a 484 40 time, which is okay, considering he's only 16 or 17 now. Man. If he can utilize that speed and that great ball sense that he has when he plays on offense on defense, then you can really see him start to put together and become a superstar level player for Maryland. Oh, Matt Canada still around. I wouldn't put it past him to see that man taking some um, reverses and uh, 
getting some touches on offense still. Like if you can get him in the open field, I'd encourage it because he's a great receiver too, but his de- strength is clearly on defense, especially with his tackling and hitting ability. But regardless, Tank will be the fourth recruit in the 2019 class, at the first from the DMV, actually the second from the DMV, and the first four-star recruit. All sounds good, and moving on to more good times rolling in College Park. The Maryland women's lacrosse team actually surprisingly had to come back to top Navy to reach their 10th straight Final Four. That is an absurd number for any sport. I don't care what anybody says. Kathy Reese is, there's no question in my mind, he, she is the greatest coach in Maryland athletics history. Wow. You know, at this point, it, it's hard to say anything different. Ten straight Final Fours, national championships galore. It's just, this game to me really showed something out of these women because they were finally down. They have lost a game this season, but they were down late in this one and they battled back and they scored four straight. And at that point, it's almost over. This team is just on another level, especially the way that they persevered through this game. It's similar to the Stony Brook game last year. You're down late. You had to push back and fight. But of course, they get it done, Jordan. What else could we expect? Well, for me, I was looking at Twitter on, I I believe it was Saturday during the game, and I saw that Maryland was down 10-8, to and I thought, for a minute, I was like, wait, did men's lacrosse play today? Because I can't believe that women's lacrosse would be down. And I checked, and it was women's lacrosse, and I was like, oh my god, they could actually lose this game. And of course, when you tune in later, because I had to drive on the way back from our road trip, Maryland wins the game, of course, after a crazy goal streak, and... You just expect it at this point. You expect Maryland women's lacrosse and Kathleen Reese will win the game somehow. Yeah, they find a way, and that's what it's about. Especially at this time, you're coming down on May. It's about finding a way to win. Nobody's playing on their fresh legs right now. They they had a week off. It really gives them some time. But at this point, you're in the brutal part of the season. You're late in the season. you got people that are injured, people that are playing through pulled muscles, and... You find a way to win, and that's what it's about. And, of course, it helps to have a twerton finalist player like Megan Whittle. And even when she's not having the best day, you got you got Jen Giles scoring seven points in the game against Navy, which is a high-scoring affair, by the way, at 17-15. to 15. Which puts us back in the Final Four and sets up the rematch of last year's national championship game against Boston College, who, of course, has a Maryland alum coaching them. Of course, I mean, it's, if it's women's across, you no, know, Maryland's going to be on it somewhere. And we also got another team in the Final Four in Mason's favorite team. The Maryland men's lacrosse team, which beat Cornell today 13-8. to And boy, was it a good one. Look, they announced the attendance at 14,047. If that stadium is truly 40,000 seats, which is, I believe, what they have it at, there's no way there wasn't 18,000 there. I believe it. You know, you got Maryland and Hopkins both playing, both local teams. You easily could have had more going out to Annapolis to see their boys. I mean, the lower deck was practically filled. We're talking about during the first game here. By by about halftime of Hopkins-Duke, it was about half capacity of what it was. But we're looking out the window of the press box, and you look to the left, and there, the section right there on the upper deck is almost filled. You're like, what's going on here? Is there a, is there another game going on? 
because lacrosse generally doesn't draw that much, but 14,000, I mean, they're shorting themselves. Well, you don't hear that often, but regardless, it was a very entertaining game for those in attendance, as the Terps were led by Jared Bernhardt and Bubba Fairman. Yeah, Bubba really showed up today. The freshman has three goals to assist on the day, and really showed up. Maryland needed somebody, as generally we've been saying these past few weeks, they really needed somebody to step up. Bubba was there today, and in a big way, because Connor Kelly, only three shots, scores one goal. Really shows that Maryland's progressing as when Connor Kelly scores only one time, they still get the win. Well, another unsung, or not unsung, maybe unexpected hero would be Logan Wisnowskis with two goals and two assists. Look, he's the center of the team, gets the ball down low, it goes in the bottom of the net. There's not much else to say. Logan, inside, is one of the best attackmen, in my mind, in the country as a finisher because generally seems he gets the ball around the goal, it's going in the goal. Now, a bit of another surprise for someone who's just catching the games when they can, not visibly watching them like you are, Tim Rotans only gets two assists and no goals. Yeah, Tim, it seems to be like, is there when you really need him as a scorer, but other than that, he's a feeder and he's a guy that just kind of plays point guard, is going to run through it, and always seems like he's either a pass away from the assist or a pass away from the goal. The biggest surprise of the day, even though Cornell struggled last week at the faceoff X against Syracuse, was that Justin Shockey took most of the draws and ends up 13 for 19, which is pretty good. Well, for a while, whenever we talk about lacrosse, you say Justin Shockey, not sure if he's going to be able to be the guy, but he's really stepped up recently. Yeah, it seems to be like whoever's got the hot hand is getting the go, whether it's Austin Henningsen, Will Bonaparte, or Justin Shockey, who's ever has got it rolling, is going to stay in. Shockey had it rolling and then kind of lost it, so he goes to Henningsen, who didn't have much today. Then he goes back to Shockey for those big-time face-off wins that they needed at the end of the game when Cornell pushed back. And as always, Dan Morris plays almost as well as you could hope for with eight goals and eight saves. Yeah, from Dan, it was an interesting one because Cornell wasn't getting a lot of shots early, which allowed him to not really get into his usual rhythm where he faces a lot of shots at the, early in the game. He gets into a nice roll. Today, he does everything that you hope, makes some big saves, lets in some goals, but it's lacrosse. That's going to happen. When your goalie makes big saves, it gets the team going. Now, perhaps the biggest story of the day, according to everybody in ESPNU and anyone who like remotely knows lacrosse, J- Jeff T., the superstar mega scorer for Cornell, does not get on the board. Maryland did what a lot of teams have done all year, which is they're going to face guard him. They're going to have somebody right up in his grill, and they're willing to play five on five, and it worked for the Terps today. T didn't really get much going. He only gets two assists, which is kind of expected when you face guard somebody because you're playing five on five for the rest of the field. It's an interesting strategy, and Maryland gave it to an interesting guy, a freshman, Jack Welding, who after the game said, Coach Bernhardt told me that that's what I was going to do. I sat in his office with him, and it got done, which is the Maryland way of doing things. And another big part of this game had to be the deep hole, Michael Adler's goal. They say he does all the little things right, and he's the funniest guy on the team, and it all paid (laughs) off today when he got his chance, as they always like to say, the pole goal gets the whole team going. Pole goal gets the whole team going. Now, this game was looking pretty close at halftime, 6-4, to four, with Cornell having a big second quarter to go with Maryland's. But then the Terps read off five goals in the third quarter. Tomorrow, let's put this game to bed. 
Yeah, and then a sixth in the fourth quarter. But it looked like he was put to bed. But then Cornell quickly does Cornell things and rattles off a few in a row to kind of get a little bit of worry in the hearts of Maryland fans. But Cornell's players said they're generally good in the third quarter and they really had no idea what happened. Just kind of the way things go coming up on Memorial Day weekend in the lacrosse world. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I know you were there. You probably had better read than I did on TV. But it was 12-4, to 4, and it got to, up to 12-8 to 8 with six minutes left. As a Maryland fan, I, I would think I, at least I had some confidence that this team was the most complete team in the country, besides maybe Albany. You were gonna, you're still going to pull this out. They're not going to have a total collapse. Yeah, and that talks volumes about what Coach Tillman has now done. 7-0 and to get to the Final Four. Never lost a quarterfinal game. It's like the it's, anti-caps. Sadly. Um, but this team and this coaching staff, no matter who the coordinators are, it's about what Coach Tillman does. It's about the preparation they put in each and every day. And it really shows when a team pushes back like Cornell, a really good team that a lot of people felt was underrated, comes out there with something to prove in Maryland. Let them in it, the game at certain points they were up. Big in the first half, looked like they were going to put him away, let him back in the game. A big in the second half, let him back in, but not enough to really have a true threat. Well, this is something interesting. In the intermission before, we'll talk about the game versus Duke coming up in a minute, but something I want to talk about is on ESPNU, the lacrosse guys, they were saying that Coach Tillman, although it took him on to actually win a championship, he's essentially turned Maryland into the premier lacrosse program in the country. I mean, they're pretty good in the last coach but they really went into the next level now. He called them the Kentucky of College Across. Do you agree with the statement or not, Mason? No, because Kentucky's not in the Final Four every year. It's as simple as that. They might be, a, if they start getting some championships, a John Wooden-level UCLA team, but there's no comparative team to this. Only because they lose the championship game, and I hate that as much as any other Maryland fan that they lost that game. But you can't really compare them to anything because they're in the Final Four seven out of eight years. And they only have one championship. It's kind of odd. It's a little weird. But if they start winning, you got to start saying John Wooden, UCLA. That's where we are with Coach Tillman. He's truly one of the greatest in lacrosse history. He's not the greatest. He's, it's going to take him a while to catch Coach Tierney with Denver and Princeton teams. But he's only been here eight years now. And they made seven Final Fours. That is absolutely ridiculous. It's it's unprecedented. I was going to say it's almost unprecedented, yeah. It's not a guy who's been here ten years and took him three years to get the program started. It's a guy who came right in here and were in Final Fours. We've lost one game in the NCAA tournament. That was to Cornell when they had Rob Pinnell. And honestly, they're really Ben Reeves and... Connor Fields and Pat Spencer were close, but Pinnell made a change in the game. The Thompsons and Pinnell, to me, are the the best players that have played recently. One of them walked into College Park, got really hot, and we lost one time. But you're talking seven Final Fours. This guy's got to be the best. He's definitely the best right now in the game to me, even though Coach Tierney is still coaching. Well, that brings up another point. Also, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that John Tillman B is alma mater at Cornell. So, looked at, if you're looking ahead, if you're a Maryland fan, you're just a casual fan like I am for lacrosse, you're looking ahead and saying, well, are you going to play Hopkins or Duke 
in the Final Four. Either way, it's a great matchup. We end up playing Duke. What are your thoughts on this game, Mason? Coach Tillman does not lose to Duke. Simple as that. Bruce Tolman, right there, right then. Duke beats Hopkins. Duke doesn't beat Maryland. And there really isn't much to say. I mean, Duke's a really good team. They got Justin Gutterding. And it's one of the first out of the last, I think, four or five senior classes that hadn't made the Final Four yet. And now they're here. They're going to be ready to go, but you know Maryland is. And really, when it comes down to coaching, Tillman, excellent against Duke. But you got to watch out. Duke's got some real scores on that team. But I've always looked at them this year and really thought that they aren't quite at Maryland's level, and I really think it's going to show in this game. Again, with the 2.30 Final Four start. I know that we won the championship with the 2.30 Final Four, but why do they keep taxing Maryland for being the one seed and putting them in the later edition of the Final Four? I mean, I don't think it's a horrible thing, but I I would agree that if you look at Maryland and Duke this year, I think it's great for the lacrosse team that were playing Duke. I think even though Hopkins' great rivalry, we never get to play Duke anymore. I think it'll maybe get some extra fans heading up to Boston this year. It'll definitely get some extra eyes since it's Maryland versus Duke on TV. I think that Maryland is just a better team overall. I agree with you on that. And I don't know if we'll have time for another podcast before the next game, or before the championship game, excuse me, after the Final Four. So Yale and Albany is, I'm sorry, but in my opinion, that is a game to watch if you're going to just watch one of them. Well, it's hard to say that. I mean, Albany is really the most entertaining team that plays college lacrosse. I love Maryland, but sometimes, I mean, when Maryland gets a big lead, they sit back. Now, Albany, they're going to push till they get 19, and they don't break the unwritten rules of going over 19, except occasionally. But Connor Fields, Nanakoke, I mean, they're just a great team to watch. But on the other side, there's one guy, if you're tuning into the 12 o'clock game, that you got to look at. That's Ben Reeves. For Yale, and we were talking about the Twarton in the press box today, and there's a lot of people saying, you know, whoever wins the championship is going to get it, but I really believe it's Ben Reeves from Yale that's got it because he, he is just one of the most electrifying players in the NCAA. He topped his counterpart, Pat Spencer, for Loyola last week. Yale's good, but I think Albany's just that little bit better. They just got that little bit more firepower, a little bit more defense. In my mind, this one could go down to goalie play or whoever could just put more in the back of the net. It goes down to goalie play. I think Yale's got it because their goalie's been hot recently. It goes down to who's just got straight-out firepower. It's it's in Albany's hands. Well, the game I want to see as a lacrosse fan is absolutely Maryland versus Albany for the championship. I think that's the game everybody really wants to see. Yeah, it's a rematch of what went down in College Park. Which was a fantastic game. It was, but Maryland let it slip away and just can't see that happening again. Maryland gets a lead in a championship game. It might be what's happened before, but I'm going to go with what happened last year against Ohio State, which is what these guys were really involved in and what they've based this year on, is that they're going to get that lead and they're going to play defense like it's nobody's business. They've really shored up the D-Mitty position with Puglise since then, and it's all about what Maryland can do and what mistakes they can write but when it comes down to it and it's championship Monday who knows what's going to happen maybe Albany comes off and after having short rest they have an off there maybe that happens to Maryland just depends on who can really 
make it happen. It's all about making it happen when it comes down to Monday. It's a rough and tough game at that point. Well, as we round this off, hopefully we will be in the tour, you know, the championship game on Monday. But as a lacrosse fan, what do you what matchup do you want to see as a pure lacrosse fan? I got to say Maryland Albany just cuz we saw the game earlier this year. We saw what happened to the Terps at the end. You really want to see if that if they get in that same situation, which I feel like is a lot of what people want to see. Can Maryland hold off this time? This weekend, as a lacrosse fan, especially if you get to make it out to Boston, is the absolute best that it gets. You got the women's championship, the men's championship, and then the fan fest. It's all just a great experience. And I'm interested to see what kind of crowd shows up, especially from Albany, because they've been waiting so long to make it to championship weekend. But we'll be out there on Saturday, just me and Wayne. And then if Monday happens, then Bruce will fly in. He's got a wedding to go to on Saturday, so sadly he won't be there, but check out TurfTalk.com. We'll be there. We'll be shooting video at FanFest Saturdays, both games, and then hopefully Monday, and hopefully a long list of videos involving a Terps repeat championship. Uh, Noah's a lacrosse fan. You're thrilled to see both these games, and I think that'll do it for us today. Yeah, well, and that's going to round it off. Man, this has been a it's been a good one, Jordan. I mean, I don't want to darn horn, but I agree with you. We're very excited to be back, not doing this over the phone. And I know you guys are happier with the not, what's called mediocre quality audio from the phone conversations. But for the next few weeks, we will be back together. Yes, we will. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. As always, we would like to thank our sponsor, Viner Forgates, for all of your IT needs. You can check them out on the web at www.vinerforgates.com. And we'll be back maybe on Sunday if Maryland makes the championship. If not, we'll be back. I guess Tuesday. On Tuesday. And as always, we thank you guys for listening, all 494 of you guys that listened this last week. And I think since we're in the same place now, we're going to be able to end the long breaks. I really hope so because we don't like them either. It's just really hard to do this when you're in different time zones. Yes, it is. And... Yeah, I think that's going to do it, and as always, we thank you guys for listening.